everybody and welcome to the true crime squad this is katie weaver i'm here with my sister co-host and partner in crime christy brower hello hello i feel as though we were just here i think we I were feel like we've been here <laughs> all week my goodness we really have uh welcome you guys this is of course a live stream uh but if you're listening to an archive or a replay welcome to you as well absolutely it's all about what is up in a uh, court Dun, dun, dun. I kind of feel like I won the first, the grand prize because you did. You I know there today. Woo. We had all been talking about like, who do you really want to see? Who is the testimony that you really want to see? And all along, we've been like Melanie Gibb, Melanie freaking Gibb. Yeah. So I get my happy ass to court this morning and sit down and get all set up and ready to go. And I get a message from Christy. Uh, did you hear that Melanie Gibb is in the in the house because of course we're in madison so i don't know you know yeah. she was it's seen. all over the twitterverse that she was she had a hat on and was trying to hide her face she had this weird like fisherman's hat on like melody why does everything you do have to be so freaking weird i don't know it is okay the, but nate eaton <laughs> from east idaho news recognized her because of course he did he interviewed her for he hours her. like yeah you're feeling no one melody mm -hmm. Gibb. She would have been better off to have a hoodie on than that hat. That just grabbed attention. Who wears that into the courthouse? Or why just not even do it? Just don't do it at all. It's yeah. not like we didn't know you were going to testify in this trial. Of course you were that going true. to testify. That key, as well. Key witness. Mm -hmm. For sure. And she had some interesting stuff to say. Jeez. So started out with Lindsay Blake uh, for this state and huge massive shout out to Lindsay Blake yeah. we told you that court yesterday was adjourned early because uh, and there is no court on Monday because one of the members of the prosecution had suffered a death in their family uh, that was Lindsay Blake's father oh, yeah so she wasn't there yesterday restful time for that right because I'm sure she went to be with her family mm -hmm. um, but here she is Back in court this morning with the, one of the biggest key witnesses in this case, in my opinion, and she absolutely handled her masterfully and just did a beautiful job. And I'm sure that she is crumbling inside, but here she was doing her job. How hard, my God, it's like the biggest case of her career thus far. Yeah. And to have to go through the death of her dad in the middle of it. So sending yeah. so much love to Lindsay Blake. And she did a badass job today. I was very yes. impressed shown up in every way man her opening statement was powerful mm -hmm. and then all well all of her examination of witnesses has been great mm -hmm. she did awesome awesome mm -hmm. especially because uh i'll tell you what thomas was on the whining train today <laughs> why is thomas turning out to be so whiny i we never saw this from him until now but my god well, it's his job. It is his job. Fine, it's his job. But <laughs> well, it is. It is. But yeah, I mean, even whining to the point of ticking off the judge. I mean, we pissed off the judge good today. Mm hmm. He pulled a stunt today. So let's get into it. Uh, 
Also, three huge pieces of evidence uh, were introduced today that we already had from Chad's preliminary. So in the case notes for this uh, show, there are links to all three of those. But even if you just go to our YouTube or our Spotify, we put them up individually as well. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it is the Melanie Chad uh, Lori phone call. We've talked about that a lot. Or the scripture dance off. Yeah. Cora horror. You kidding me, Mel? <laughs> so Listening classic. to that again today, where I was dead. <laughs> but at any rate, there's that. There is the uh, the patriarchal blessing. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. And Chad won't go to the mortuary. Oh, creepy, creepy. Also, I don't know if Chad would be more creepy if he tried, or dumber. Mm-hmm. The way that he realized after saying his name that he'd just given his real name was hilarious. <laughs> like, dude, what are you? You are the dumbest criminal ever. And that is why you and your idiot wife are on trial right now. Because what? <laughs> Daybell. D-A-B-L. <laughs> I mean, you might have just said your name was Michael Jackson. I mean, come on. What's my name? Oh, Elvis. Elvis Presley. (laughs) 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 My gosh. I'm dead. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's get into the way things kicked off this morning. Uh, Lori was wearing, uh, it it looked to me like maybe she had a black shirt or a black turtleneck underneath and then like an off-white top, kind of. Lori was mm-hmm. today. She didn't seem to be upset with her attorney. Uh, she was quite animated. I didn't get a lot of Lori watching time because my little thumbs were flying. But from reading some other people's accounts that were in uh, the Ada courtroom, they said that she was shaking her head sometimes when she didn't like what Melanie was saying, which I thought was very interesting. She I got real animated. She was. Too. Yes. Yeah. So. Melanie and Lori met at a church event in October 2018 and became really quick friends. Uh, Melanie Pulowski was there as well. A couple weeks after they met, they went to an event in New, uh, hello, in uh, St. George, Utah, and that's where they met Chad. Melanie had already met Chad a couple of years before that and had read most of his books. Lori had also read some of his books, and that's how they uh, were excited to meet Chad. Chad and Lori were instantaneous. Instantaneous. The first time they met, they immediately became people that were, uh, you know, talking to each other constantly. They spent time together and talked that entire weekend. Like, it was just, it was just uh, gasoline and a flame immediately when they met. Uh, James and Elena from the very beginning. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Uh, she met Tylee at Lori's house. She said that Tylee acted upset and frustrated with Lori most of the time and that there was a fair amount of content- contention in their relationship. Melanie said Lori was usually really loving with JJ, but over time, after she met Chad, within a few months after meeting Chad, that loving interaction really started to decline and she started acting very irritated by JJ in his presence. Even referred to JJ as her nieces. Melanie didn't say this. I'm I'm interjecting, but even referred to JJ to other people as her niece's drug baby. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh my God. 
Melanie and Lori were really fast friends too. And in the beginning, they hung out nearly every day, uh, talking, texting, spending a lot of time together. But uh, realized Melanie and Lori's friendship took off almost at the same time that Lori and Chad's relationship took off. They like met in the same month. Mm-hmm. And suddenly has a brand new best friend and a brand new boyfriend. Yeah. So I guess to hell with, you know, her husband and kids and, and things. Children. Uh, Lindsay Blake repeatedly made Melanie repeat that, yes, Charles was alive and they were married. And yes, Tammy was alive and they were married. Yeah. Yeah, over and over, she made her uh, kind of keep reiterating that. Yeah. So a couple of weeks after that first meeting in St. George, there was another one of these uh, conferences. So these were mostly preparing a people conferences. And if we haven't made that clear, they were basically their prepper conferences and kind of groups of Mormons and Mormon uh, authors that... Uh, they're kind of coming together and putting on their own events, or they were. Mm -hmm. And that's what all these events that Chad was speaking at and presenting at, that these guys were all going to, they were mostly sponsored by Preparing a People and other groups like that. So they ended up in Arizona. Uh, Chad actually stayed over at Lori's house that night, uh, as did Melanie, and as did some of the other presenters as well. Charles and was Charles town. was not there. Yeah, Charles was out of town. Yep. Uh, let's see. They pretty much immediately, like the weekend they met, they decided that they had been married multiple times in other probations. So you're going to hear the word probations a lot uh, if you listen to the uh, recording. Probation is a Mormon term, as far as I'm aware, for a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, and it's not an LDS belief. Multiple lives is not an LDS belief, but it is, mm -hmm. of course, it was a belief that Chad and Lori both um, held. And they immediately decided that they had been married to each other in multiple probations and that they were supposed to meet now. They really created like this whole language mm -hmm. around these beliefs yep. and, and bastardized. I mean, I've heard in Mormonism this lifetime called a probation. Mm -hmm. But I've never heard anybody say multiple probations mm -hmm. in, in Mormonism. It's really interesting how they kind of, yeah, well, started their own little mini cult. They Mini, mm -hmm. real mini, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that they did that fall, Chad came back to town multiple times and stayed with Lori or... Melanie said also that they got hotels and that they were sexually active. They were intimate. Intimate. Was the court. Intimate. But guess who was sitting over on the stand next to her lawyer? <laughs> yeah. Shaking her head. No. Well, Melanie says, yeah, they were. And they're, they're, her justification for that is that this was God's will. What's God's will, guys? They've already they been married cheating. in multiple lifetimes. Surely they can have sex. Because, I mean... Yes, married people shouldn't have sex with other people. That's pretty well accepted. But in the Mormon church, oh. having sex with someone that you're not married to is a sin second only to murder. These guys, check, check. Right? They're getting all the boxes. Yeah. They, they definitely are. 
I was listening to all of this, there was an um or, or watching your your tweet your tweets, there was an objection at one point for hearsay. Mm-hmm. Did the judge give any indication of how this was not considered hearsay? It's because they were discussing a co-conspirator. Okay. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. That this is all about that shared scheme, that common scheme mm-hmm. that they talked about right at the beginning of this trial. And I kept thinking, yeah, they're looking at all of these people as part of the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is, that. that's why. Okay. So at some point that fall, while Chad was coming to Arizona, they went to a Mormon temple, an LDS temple, which going to the temple with someone that isn't your spouse is not a thing that's done. I mean, you could go with friends maybe and just do a session together, but to go with a man who's not, or, you know, it's someone who's not your spouse going with them and like doing a temple work with them, that is not done. Mm-mm. Well, they went to the temple together and then they claimed that uh, Moroni and Jesus Christ appeared to them and sealed them to each other. A sealing is a ceremony that happens in the LDS temples to seal you to each other for time and all eternity. And they both were already sealed to their spouses in this lifetime, but uh, that wasn't enough for them. They needed to be sealed to each other. Again, really bastardizing the beliefs of the LDS church. Very offensive, very offensive to go into their temple and do something like that. Well, and and you don't perform your own sealing. There are people for that right like right. everything they were doing i don't know how they were i don't know i only went to the temple as a kid for baptisms for the dead and stuff i don't know how they were just sneaking around in there like there are attendants of people paying attention like where you're supposed to be and stuff so how so when just... you finish a session mm-hmm. the last room that you end up in is the celestial room and you can stay in the celestial room as long as you want Oh, and people okay. do they stay in there and, and you can visit quietly or you can pray or you know read your scriptures or whatever and i think that that's probably what they did is they did a session and then met up in the celestial room and did their little work okay. uh, that's my thought i could be wrong but that's my thought because you don't just wander around in there generally not really how the rules work you're right that's well, no, interesting but that would make sense get free reign definitely not yeah all right, so so anyway, that was one thing that Melanie said that I thought was interesting. Uh, started talking about the whole 144,000 thing. Yes. And Lori had expressed how much she and Chad were in love with each other and that she knew that she was a part of the 144,000 and that she and Chad had a job to do, that they were supposed to be the leaders of the 144,000 to assist in the second coming of Christ. And that really became Lori's mission and full focus is how to make all of that happen right. and what she was supposed to do. Now, amongst all of that, Lori also believed that she was a translated being that uh, didn't need to repent, didn't need to follow the rules, didn't need to follow the church's rules or society's rules because she was above all of that. She also wasn't, didn't need to eat apparently. Oh, that's what they say. Yeah. Seems yeah. she has been though. Well, that's a good question, Deb. Were Lori and Charles actually sealed? I thought they were, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't 100% know. Tammy and Chad definitely were. 
but yeah. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, Lori definitely had a recommend, but that does not necessarily mean that she and Charles were married in the Mormon temple. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's an interesting question because I don't think she was married in the temple to any of her other husbands. Mm -mm. And so when did she take out her endowments? Was that when she and Charles did get sealed or had they not been sealed? I don't know the answer to that. Hmm, that's Maybe something somebody we'll else will. Into. Yeah. Really, really good question, Deb. Or comment. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So they're talking a little bit. Okay. They're trying to get a handle on what the light and dark thing means. Uh, this was addressed in the direct. It was addressed in the redirect. It was uh, it was addressed in the cross. Everybody, I, I, can I just say that Thomas has absolutely no grasp whatsoever of what any metaphysical properties or purposes are, like at all. He doesn't no, get it at all. Couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> they all asked for a uh, explanation on what vibration means so many times that I was just chuckling, but. I want to share a couple of things about the light dark conversation because what this is is that Chad had decided that he had this special ability to rank people based on their vibration or what he was hearing about what uh if they're basically a good person or a bad person, a light person or a dark person. So right. he started ranking everybody they knew. I mean, spoiler alert, if people were going along with what they liked and uh, agreed with them and weren't getting in their way, they were light. If they weren't, they were dark. So, right. for example, here's a couple of his uh, classifications. This is for JJ. He was a 4.2 light for the longest time until yeah. he became a pain in the ass. And then, of course, he became dark and possessed. Uh, he was born, uh, had a past life in 400 BC among the lost tribe of Manessa in Northern Europe. He was the son of James and Elena. Jonathan Elliot Edwards. I don't even know what that means. Oh, that's who he was in some lifetime. And then, oh, oh, in the rankings. Sorry. So mm -hmm. he was a two uh, in 400 BC. He was a three in the son, as the son of James and Elena. He was a 4.1 when he was Jonathan Elliott Edwards. And today, whenever he did that ranking, he was a 4.2. Then you have Lori, who's a 4.3. Dear Lori. Lori was uh, also Lanaya, daughter of Methuselah. She also married Neil A. Maxwell, apparently. <laughs> she was Elena, daughter of Jesus's half-brother Judas. She was married to James the Just. She was Elmari, the prophet Moroni's wife. What a coincidence, because Moroni just ran into her the other day and sealed her to Chad. Right. Um, what a coincidence. She was Mary French, the wife of Robert Smith. A lot of these are Mormon terms. Uh, he may or may not recognize anyway but this is what his little rankings basically looked like so he would decide you know if somebody was light or dark or whatever and then uh how many past lives they've had and all that kind of stuff so that's basically what uh 
what that was all about. Yeah. In a, in a nutshell. Yeah. A very nutty. <laughs> you had me nutshell. at Jesus's half brother, Judas. Let's see. Right. <laughs> now there's several questions here. I wonder if we ought to get to real quick. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, uh, Kat would like to know what's an endowment. What does that mean? So an endowment is a ceremony that you do in the LDS temple. It's a lot of promises that you make uh, to follow the rules and, and various things. And that's when you receive your garments. Everybody, you know, pretty much knows that Mormons wear, uh, you know, people call them various things. Mormon, Mormons call them garments. Other people call them stuff like Jesus jammies or magic underwear, stuff like that. But uh, mm -hmm. they are top and bottom full uh, like clear to your knees and cap shoulders and then you wear those all the time after that after you've gone to the temple unless you're like playing a sport that's pretty much the only ex exception so that's when you receive your garments you, you do those parts of their ceremonies and then when you get married that's the ceiling but to take out your endowments just means that you've visited the temple you've made all of the promises you've gone through the ceremony and you have received your garments and other temple clothes as well. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Gazelum's Rocks says 144,000 talk sounds like they might have had Jehovah's Witness influence. And and that's true because that is not a Mormon thing. No, it isn't. <laughs> I've been really confused about that. Yeah, it was confusing at first for us too because we didn't grow up with that. I don't think that that's a thing in Mormonism at all. But they did pick that up somewhere. There was a guy that sat behind us in court today that said, these two need a Bible. They don't even understand what the 144,000 is. Right, went, right. They're, they're just not surprised because it's really whatever. not a teaching that they grew up with. Yeah. You have to remember that Chad is a fiction writer. He's written all these fictional sort of religious themed kind of fantastical books. And so he just sort of did the same thing with Lori. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Phyllis said, according to Chad Dable's sister-in-law, women can't get sealed again after their husbands die. Right. Yeah. Because Mormons actually believe in polygamy after death. Uh -huh. yeah. um, if if a woman gets divorced in this lifetime to a husband that she was sealed to, that husband has to give permission in order to get married and sealed to another man. And if he doesn't give permission, she can't. It's real fucked up. Uh -huh. it's, it's, it's a real mess. Uh, Marone, I sealed them in the temple. They need a recommend to get in. Very good point. Thank you. You have to have a recommend to get in the temple. You can't just walk mm -hmm. in there, anybody off the street. No. That means that you have gone to your bishop. You've sat down with them. They have taken you through a series of questions uh, to verify that you are worthy of uh, attending the temple, including paying 10% of your income in tithing for, I think it's at least six months. Now, it's been a long time. So if I'm wrong on that, somebody can please correct me. But uh, that it used to be at least six months that you had to have paid your tithing. And it also means that you had to be pretty well sin free for about a year before you can go into the temple. So, mm -hmm. for example, if you have been fornicating, you would have to repent for that. And then you can't go to the temple for about a year. So that's uh, so, yeah, you have to have a recommend from your bishop that's probably signed by your state president that says that they have found you to be worthy of attending. So, yeah, they had both were in good standing with the church. They would have had mm -hmm. to have been. Yeah. Right. Or at least pretending to be. Right. Because they were getting hotel rooms. Yeah. They, I mean, they were and lying. Doing it. But I think you only to have to temple. go in for an interview for your recommend once a year, don't you? Yeah. Once a year. Yeah. So. 
They, you yeah. know, but at this point they were translated beings and could do whatever they want, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, KT wants to know, how did she cross paths with Chad in past lives then? We know of James and Elena, but they said five lives. I don't know if they've ever said what they all were. I don't know either. They believed them to be. Yeah. Um, uh, JR, now, see, I, yeah, I'm with you. JR says, I always felt like Melanie had romantic feelings toward Lori. It was oh that God. or like hero worship. Mm-hmm. Like kind of puppy dogging around with her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there yeah. definitely was something there because she put up with a lot of bullshit out of these two. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah, she, she's lucky she's not going to prison. She really two. is. But I really wonder if that's part of this testimony is that she has agreed to give this evidence in lieu of being in trouble herself. They sure knew didn't a ask. Lot. They, no one said that she has a deal. It's true. And I would have thought that at least the defense would have hammered in on that one, but they did not. Yeah. Yeah. So they went on, talked a little bit about Brandon Boudreaux and Charles, whether either of them were listening to this stuff and taking part in Chad and Lori's teachings and ideas. She, uh, you know, she indicated that no, there were not. Uh, By about January, Lori started sharing that Chad told her that Charles had been overtaken by an evil spirit. Ned. Lori had. hmm? Ned, Ned, the evil spirit. Yes. First Ned and then Garrett. Yep. So uh, Lori had a dream that Charles would die in a car accident while traveling for work. And uh, JJ was in his care at that time, which the prosecutor kind of ground down on. That's when she'd run off for the two months. Mm -hmm. Yep. Denise says in Doctrine and Covenants, which is a Mormon scripture, uh, the Lord explained to Joseph Smith that the number 144,000 mentioned in Revelations, which is the Bible, is the number of representatives out of the 12 tribes of Israel who will be ordained to assist others in their quest for exaltation. Yeah. Okay. But it doesn't really sound like what Chad and Lori, you know, like it doesn't track. <laughs> right. They're way no. far afield at this point. True. <laughs> Phyllis, the way I just choked on my Taco Thursday. <laughs> hilarious. Brandy says that she has ants that are sealed to the same man. Oh, really? Brandy, they're already oh, wow. polygamous. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. When Mark Means told her, tried to have her serve, she told him to speak with Rob Woods and wouldn't accept it. Yeah. Remember that thing that Mark Means was trying to serve to everybody that he yes. wanted basically every last shred of everything they'd done ever. He wanted their passwords to their social media accounts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, and yeah, when when Melanie Gibb said to to talk to Rob Wood because she somehow thought he was her attorney, mm-hmm. he's not. Melanie just didn't know what the hell she was doing. She was in so far over her head. So they started doing these castings. Well, they believed that their spouses would pass away. And then they could be together. They were talking a lot about, well, they're both going to die. They're actually, at first it was both car accidents. They're both going to die. And then we can just be together. Uh, Lindsay Blake asked, why not just get divorced? And she said, well, uh, it didn't fit their religious beliefs. And Mormons do get divorced. But but, but they, it was something about that that would hurt Chad's standing in uh, 
the priesthood or something. I like it, don't like apply this to Mormon beliefs because it's not quite right. But there was something about that they couldn't get divorced or that wouldn't be pleasing to God that they needed the, their spouses to die and then they could get together because that would be God's will. I mean, all this other stuff was fine, but the divorce mm -hmm. was the deal breaker. Mm -hmm. Now, Kat, I love this question because I've been thinking about it a lot myself. Mm -hmm. uh, my question is for people who are clairvoyant or have spiritual gifts, how do we explain we are not like Chad when it comes to our gifts? Mm -hmm. I'm worried people will say we are like him. Well, I think it's pretty easy because we haven't killed anyone. Mm -hmm. We haven't used our own gifts to harm other people or kill them or to say it's okay and justify it. Mm -hmm. Or to manipulate them. Yeah. All right. We got to keep moving or we're never going to get done. <laughs> so then they started talking about the castings. So they'd been talking about doing castings, right? Where mm -hmm. what they meant was they were trying to cast an evil spirit out. But this got really yes. convoluted because their belief was that once a um, evil spirit has taken over your body, your spirit's gone. Your spirit has already gone to the other side. Now there's an evil spirit in this body. And the only way to get rid of the evil spirit is for the body to die. Yeah. That was their belief. So, but they started out doing these castings and basically they were kind of like a healing circle. They were getting together these groups of women and doing this work to try to drive out the evil spirit. They did a lot of castings uh, on Charles and then they did castings on, who else did she say? She said they never did castings on the kids, interestingly. Now, I got to say, I was, I was so dead in the cross when Thomas, seriously, Thomas cannot get his head around this stuff to save his life. He should have, like, gone into a metaphysical store and sat down with somebody and, like, asked some questions and tried to understand this stuff because he doesn't have a, a clue. And that's yeah. okay. He doesn't have to, but he kind of does, you know. But anyway, he said, now on these castings, he's like, I'm just really confused about, so are they like casting, this is like witchcraft? They're like casting a spell? <laughs> she was like, no, they're like casting out evil, like in the Bible. <laughs> oh, that was a good moment. That cracked mm -hmm. me up. Anyway, so they did all these castings on Chad, or, or on Charles, sorry. Uh, of course, the entity was first called Ned. Then they got rid of Ned, and Garrett came right in. Damn you, Garrett. Damn you. Mm-hmm. That's when they kind of started talking about zombies. That's where the zombie talk came from. Mm -hmm. And then deciding that the castings weren't working, and that really for the only way for a zombie to be destroyed would be for the host to die. Right. Lori and Chad believed that Brandon Boudreaux was a reincarnated member of Hitler's gang and that he Whatever was that a means. high level dark entity and was possessed. Yep. Poor Brandon Boudreaux. He's been through so much shit from these idiots. Mm -hmm. Kind of mm. right in the beginning. Charles, Brandon, Lori's dad, Ty Lee Kay, and a few others were labeled as dark. And then along the road, as other people pissed them off, then they might get that classification too. Mm -hmm. Basically, anybody that got in their way was immediately dark and possessed. Chad told Lori that Tylee had been possessed with a dark spirit since she was 12. Yeah, it's called being a teenager. All of our kids are possessed from the time they're 12. Come on. <laughs> yep. Who hasn't raised a teenager and thought... 
But it was really telling today how often Melanie said, well, yes, Chad told Lori that. So Chad was coming up with all this bullshit and coming back to Lori with, well, just so you know, Charles is possessed. She said the first time that Chad told uh, Lori that Charles was possessed, that she was shocked. She had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> like what? What? But she went along with it. Yeah. Well, so she could be with her new loin fire partner. Yeah. So Melanie actually stayed the night at Lori's house the day before Charles died. Well, two days before Charles died. She went home the day before Charles died. And then Alex was coming to stay because she, Lori said that Charles was going to kill her. And so she was, had Mel stay with her first and then had Alex stay with her because uh, she said that her brother Adam was trying to kill her and that Chad was trying to, or that Charles was trying to kill her. I also think that Chad was planting this paranoia in her. Now, I will say that that was not said in court today. That's coming from myself. But he was planting all kinds of fear in her and she was just yep. absolutely going with it. So then we know... I'm not going to totally replay Charles's death because you guys already know all about that. Right. The only thing that came from our conversation with Mel today was she's saying that Lori knew before Charles died that the life insurance was going to K. This is not what has been said in the past. The prosecutor mm -hmm. doubled back with her several times trying to get her to say something else. And she was like, no, no, she knew. Yeah, no, she knew. I know she told me before he died. I, I know she did. And she was like, can you, you know, when she told you or what the context was? And she's like, oh, I can't remember. But yeah, she did tell me. Uh, Thomas in the redirect uh, doubled down on that with her too. And she's at first she's like, I don't really know. I can't really remember. Yeah, for sure it was before. And that's not great. That's not great. Uh, that doesn't quite uh, match the narrative. And it shouldn't have to. If that's true, it's true. Like, I, I'm not trying to fit the narrative. But it is the opposite of what has been said up to this point. Up to this point. Now, I think that I'm, I think that what we'll see, and, and we'll see what happens, but I think that the prosecutor has plenty of evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Uh, because Lori called the life insurance company after Charles died and tried to claim the life insurance. Right. So I don't, and then there's some texts between Chad and Lori that we've seen from the iCloud account before that she was, uh, that she and Chad were texting after Charles died about the fact that she can't access the life insurance. And Chad was like, surely there's something we can do. And she was like, I've already looked into it. There's not. He changed it. He signed off on it. Like, there's nothing we can do. I th I think they'll be able to prove that Melanie was wrong, but that was kind of a seed of doubt. I don't know. That was not great. Yeah. yeah. Well, Melanie's memory sucks, and she has said that in every interview she's ever done. She said yeah. it on the stand during Chad's preliminary. She said it on the stand today. And that is concerning. I mean, that uh -huh. that's not great for credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's true. She has been through a lot of trauma through all of this. Yeah, she has. But yes, they, the chatters were saying earlier that, wait, she was there the day before Charles died and the day before JJ died. Yeah, she was. Mm -hmm. That's how close she is to this. Yeah. And it's why her testimony is so important, because she was mm -hmm. the closest person to Lori. Absolutely.
See, Kat, I think, Kat Link, I think you're correct. This is exactly what I was saying today, too. She wonders if Melanie's confused and was referring to when Lori changed the insurance and the password and locked Charles out of it. Right. If that's what she's talking about. Maybe. Because then Charles had, Charles had to go through hoops to regain access to his account. Then he made Kay the beneficiary and locked Lori out of it. Yep. But I think Lori thought she had it changed or that she could just change it after he died or something. There was some, she had an angle there. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that was an interesting part. Now, of course, then there's that death. Uh, again, we're not going to go all the way through that tonight. But they sure did manage to uh, get Charles's death in there. Justin mm -hmm. Lum said that the jury looked shocked and he was really paying attention during the conversation about Charles's death. Yeah. One piece of evidence that they let in today was Chad's phone call because after Charles died, Chad was calling around mortuaries around Chandler trying to get the best deal on, uh, help me. Uh, oh, on cremation. Thank you. My Who's shopping around for cremation <laughs> for the cheapest possible cremation. Yeah. What an asshole. <laughs> so, and the phone call is so wild. He he gives his real name, and then he's like, "Uh, I mean, uh, Daybell, D-A-B-E-L. Okay? <laughs> uh, it's crazy talk. Uh, he tells them it's his uncle, John, uh, John Daybell, uh, uh, middle name, uh, Myron, John, John Myron Daybell, my uncle, he died. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sad. It's uh, so sketchy and stupid. I, I'm sure that girl was like, who am I talking to one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, dumbbell. And, yeah, that, that made way more sense to me. <laughs> right. Melanie was actually not at the party. Mm -mm. Melanie said that she didn't know that Charles was dead for four days. Which is Lori also weird AF. Was but... not telling anybody. She didn't even tell his own kids until the next day. Mm -hmm. But no, she was not at the party. I thought she would be too. I, I'm with you. At any rate, yeah, the phone call is very weird. He is sounding really weird. Yeah, there's definitely a time or two where it sounds like he's kind of biting back laughter. He just thinks this is funny. And anyway, there's a link to it in our case notes. If you want to listen to it, it's like three minutes long and you will be, you know, pretty well dumbfounded. But it's yeah. there. Yeah. So there is that. Well, they found that phone call because uh, <coughs> there was no person. The person they were describing, the you know, mortuary realized was there was no per such person. Right. Yeah, it was, that was so weird. I yeah. think Kat, that she was covering her face and escorted by police is because she was afraid for her safety. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has blown up so hugely. Mm -hmm. You have to understand that I, a lot of these witnesses are a little nervous about showing up in court and about, um, it's one reason why the witness list is sealed so that we don't know ahead of time who's coming. Uh -huh. Yep. So after Charles's death, Chad uh, visited and stayed with Lori and they were both very happy. Uh, some other things she told us, uh, she believed that Lori believed according to her mission that her whole family would die due to tribulations. Yeah. <laughs> So convenient, you know, setting it all up that Relations you created, bro. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, after she moved to Idaho. So 
after Lori moved to Idaho, she said that she did hear Tylee on the while she was talking to Lori on the phone a few times, but she hadn't actually never saw Tylee after uh, July. Right. And then, of course, they talked about when Melanie and David were in Idaho the weekend that JJ died. She said that uh, Tylee wasn't there, and Lori said she was away at school. And JJ was there, but when she got there, she said she needed to let her know that JJ is now a zombie. He's doing all of these weird things. He's definitely, he says he's not, doesn't have Satan in him, which obviously means he does. He's climbing up on the fridge. He's acting weird. Melanie said to her, he wasn't acting weird at all. He was acting like a seven-year-old kid that has autism. And this is pretty normal. But he knocked down a picture of Jesus, guys. Uh, off he the fridge. down a picture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure is a zombie. For sure, for sure. But here's one thing she said that we have not heard before that really turned my stomach. She said, JJ got out of hand and Chad picked him up and took him upstairs to a bedroom and was gone for a while. And when they came back, his neck was all red. And Melanie asked what happened to his neck. And he said, oh, he scratched himself. Ooh, that Chad. just boils my fucking blood. Not Alex. Chad. Yeah. We have not heard that before. That turned my stomach. She was letting Chad discipline her little boy. She was letting Chad take him up into separate bedrooms and do God knows what. Yeah. That really what, bothered him me. down by the throat, maybe? I mean, t- normally Alex was the, uh, you the know. Enforcer. I'll tell you today, though, they really downplayed Alex. We didn't hear Alex's name nearly as many times as we sure could have. We're gonna, when the defense starts presenting, we're gonna hear lots of Alex. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. So that night, well, while they were there, she said Chad and Lori were just openly affectionate all weekend, just not acting like Chad's married at all, you no. know? She said he came and went because, you know, he also had a family and a wife. Mm-hmm. But uh, they went to bed on the night of the 21st. Melanie was sleeping in Tylee's room. And JJ, or sorry, David was sleeping in JJ's room. Melanie ended up sleeping in JJ's room with David for most of the night. And at some point, David had a bad dream and woke up really, really upset. Said he had a dream of some really bad energies and that uh, there were, in his dream, there were people dying. And he was really upset. So she tried to text Chad to ask him to give David a blessing. She also tried to call Lori, and Lori didn't answer. In these townhouses, all three bedrooms are upstairs right next to each other. They're not that big. So she went to Lori's bedroom and tried the door, and the doorknob was locked. And she couldn't get Lori's attention. Right. Isn't that something? That is. And guys, just to clarify, because there's some confusion, it was JJ's neck that was red when Chad, after Chad had had right. him upstairs. Yeah, JJ's neck. And he, and Chad said that he had scratched himself, and that's why his neck was red. Yeah. But considering what was happening, pretty damn hard to believe. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So then they woke up the next morning. She said they did not see JJ the next morning, and they left 
around nine and went home. So then, of course, uh, she and Lori were still talking, but not nearly as much as they used to. But right around Thanksgiving, Melanie was in Utah with David Warwick, and she got a phone call from Chad saying, the police are going to call you and ask you if you have JJ with that, him, with them, and you need to just not answer the phone. We'll, we'll tell you more later. Mm-hmm. Well, then she got into contact with Lori a little bit later, and Lori uh, told her, I told them that you at, were at Frozen 2 with JJ, so t- go to the movie theater and take a few random uh, like general pictures so that you'll have that to show. And Melanie's like, what? Why? She's like, I thought that JJ was with Kay. Because she had told Melanie that she was going to give JJ to Kay because she didn't want to take care of him anymore. And she even said that she was going to tell Kay that she had cancer so that she would feel sorry for her and take JJ. She didn't need to do any of those things. Kay wanted JJ. Yeah, Kay Kay and Larry would have taken JJ in a second. Hmm. So some of these guys thought it was Chad's neck. Maybe I heard it wrong. I don't know. We'll have to go back and listen. Well, I don't think so because it was JJ. He said JJ scratched himself. Yeah. So I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, he did so. say JJ scratched himself. We'll have to find the find it and listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Nate heard something different than me, and I could be wrong, but that's that's what I heard. And the people sitting next to me, that's what they heard too. So, huh? I don't know. Good thing it's recorded, huh? We can go back and listen to it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, so with all of that, so Melanie did, when the police uh, came and talked to her, the Box Elder police uh, in there in Utah came and talked to her, mm-hmm. and she told them she wasn't comfortable fully lying, so she was comfortable still lying. Mm-hmm. She said that she, uh, she told the police that she did have JJ, but she doesn't now. Yeah. And then she sat with that for a number of days until she got feeling guilty and weird about this. And David the whole time was like, you got to do the right thing. What the hell is this? Yeah. So she finally went back to the police and told them, okay, so actually I never had JJ. Yeah. I thought on cross that Thomas might ding her a little bit more on that and be like, well, you lied about that. How do we know you're telling the truth about anything? You know, right. but he didn't. I thought he would, but anyway, think. so then Chad, then she finds out that Tammy has died and she calls Lori and says that she heard that Tammy died. <clears throat> and Lori's just like, yeah, yep. Like her whole plan is working out. Oh yeah. Thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then she doesn't talk to them for a bit. And then, of course, they flee to Hawaii. And she, this is where she decides to call them. Why did she decide to call them? Well, it depends because she's given a different answer multiple times. She has, yeah. Initially, she said it was because David wanted her to call them and try Mm -hmm. and clear some stuff up. Uh, Thomas finally today is like, I mean, wasn't the point of getting this all recorded mostly just to, like, exonerate yourself and she was like i mean that was one of the reasons well sure it was you know melanie you can just admit it of course it was 
So this is the call. We have talked about it before. You guys have maybe heard it before. You'll find it in the case notes. It is an episode that we did called Melanie Gibb Phone Call with Chad and Lori. We also called it a scripture dance off. If you haven't listened to it, you don't know. But if you do, you know why we called it that. They're mostly fighting in scripture. <laughs> Which if you grew up a Mormon kid and you went to seminary and did all the stuff that we did, it's hilarious because mm-hmm. we had to do all this scripture mastery where we had to memorize all of these key yeah, like scripture scriptures battles. out of the Book of Mormon. And then you would hear these kinds of arguments like happening mm-hmm. with teenagers when we were oh, in college yeah. at a Mormon school, you would hear people arguing, flipping scripture back and forth at each other. Uh, it was very familiar um, territory yeah. to hear them doing that. And we really got a pretty good laugh out of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It absolutely killed us. And it still does listening it again today. I'm like, who? one of the things that Lori, what there, that Melanie said, she was referencing a character in the book of Mormon called Korahor. Korahor was an antichrist in the Book of Mormon. Korahor? Are you kidding me, man? (laughs) She likens her to Korahor, and she's like, really? Korahor? Are you even kidding me, Mal? We've been calling each other Korahor ever since, because that's hilarious. I had completely forgotten Uh, about Korahor until until that phone call. (laughs) mm -hmm. But uh, at any rate, so, and and the uh, defense on Cross kind of doubled down on that. They're like, so are you calling Lori an antichrist and she was like yeah yes yeah scripture chase yeah scripture yeah yeah uh one thing she said is that she asked alex where jj is and he told her you wouldn't want to know and that he won't be found yeah now interesting because in the phone call Lori says, I can't tell anyone where the kids are because if I did, then they wouldn't be safe and you wouldn't be safe. And then maybe I wouldn't be safe. And I haven't even told Alex. Only Alex seemed to know. Yeah, he sure did. Scripture dance off is our term. It is the term is scripture chase, but it's like, you know, two gangs dancing off with each other. (laughs) It's kind of a West Side story type. Chase, you know, where just... <laughs> Lamanites versus Nephites style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way they go back at each other is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll listen to the call. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's too long. Uh, but at any rate, at the very end of the call, Lori yells at her about how Jesus Christ is protecting her and then hangs up. <laughs> That's it. And then court mm-hmm. went to recess. It was good. It was everyone needed a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was laughing about how pissed Lori must be. She was, I had tweeted that she was probably sitting there doing a solo casting on Mel G for the last two hours straight. Probably. Anyway, uh, when we came back from court, yeah, they did talk about why she made the audio at that point. She said it's because she was worried about JJ on cross. They wanted to know if there was any way that the, the police talked her into doing that. And she swears that no one did, but she did give the recording to the police right away. Yeah. He, they did kind of clarify some things from the call and from these beliefs about whether or not they're common to the LDS church. Melanie cleared a few things up that way. Tammy was considered light until very shortly before her death. Then they decided that she was actually possessed by 
an evil spirit. Oh, I knew her name and now I can't remember. One of you guys will know. But uh, anyway, yeah. So, you know, conveniently, she had that darn zombie, zombie situation going on. Right. Well, the castings didn't work. So now she's got to be a zombie so they can kill her. It's just, it's so obvious mm -hmm. how deluded they are on the outside looking in, you know? Yeah. God. She yes, said after Viola. Yeah, Tammy Viola, Viola. That's right. She said after Charles died that Lori got increasingly frustrated that Tammy was still alive. She had this plan to move to Idaho and marry Chad and be together. And Chad kept promising Tammy was going to die in a car accident and didn't. And Lori was getting pissed off. She'd had enough. She wanted her life. Which uh, is interesting because that's something the prosecution said in the opening is that she had, Tammy had two things she wanted. She had all that life insurance on her and she had Chad and she wanted them both and needed yep. Tammy to be gone so that she could have yep. that. Uh, yeah, JR, I can put the link in the chat for the phone call. Yeah, it, it'll also be in the show description. Yeah. And we just posted, we just reposted just the phone call itself uh, today. Wait, which phone call? Oh, no. Oh, no, we didn't. We reposted the show. We reposted that episode a okay. couple of days ago. That's right. I mean, there's actually two uh, two phone calls. Yeah. Tammy did call the police after the paintball incident, didn't she? Or maybe she didn't. I can't no, remember, she didn't, Jennifer. Because she thought it was a paintball gun. She did she put a... Realize there were someone trying to kill her. Remember, she posted it on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, she posted on Facebook a warning to the neighbors. I still kind of thought they called the she called the police though. Mm -mm. No, and people were people asked her, "Did you call the police?" Mm -hmm. And it was more like, "Well, I think it was just a paintball gun." Mm -hmm. No, it was that dumb gun with the silencer on it that yeah. Alex was very clearly bad at using. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is curious how all of Lori's children went dark except for Colby. But you know who was dark? Colby's wife. Yeah, Colby's wife was like super dark. Mm -hmm. But Colby's they didn't live with them, and so they weren't really alive. Yeah. Yep. But but Colby and his wife mm -hmm. weren't really a barrier because they didn't live with them. Mm -hmm. Yep. True. So that was pretty much for Blake. Uh, we pretty much talked about what was on the cross, but here's what Thomas did. He asked her if she'd had contact with the prosecution. She said that she spoke to them in March to go over her testimony, and before that was a couple of years ago. Thomas said, huh, when you spoke to them in March, were you as forgetful as you have been today? She said yes. She did say yes. <laughs> uh, and then Thomas tells the judge he wants to move to strike this witness's testimony. After this, all of it. Two and a half hours? Yeah. The entire morning? You want to... I'm thinking to myself, how, how would the jury possibly erase all of that from their psyche? They can't, you know, like, are you serious? And it was based on the fact that he says that they never got any follow-up notes from the prosecution about their meeting in March. And the prosecution's like, that's because we don't owe you any. But at that point, Lindsay Blake is like, uh, this shouldn't be happening in front of the jury. So they had a quick sidebar, and then they decided to let the jury go out for a while while they hashed it out. And the judge had to go research something in his office and, you know, basically came back and said, the prosecution has every right to prep their witnesses. 
And unless new information was given to them, other than what was already provided the prosecution, they have no obligation to provide that. Right. That was the ruling. This is something that defense has been hammering on and hammering on and hammering on because they're they're pushing that whole we never got all of the all of the discovery. That's Mm -hmm. you know, they're looking at this from like procedural Mm -hmm. fuck ups on the part of the prosecutor, because what else have they got? Nothing. Right. Yeah. So there was kind of a conversation there. The judge was not pleased. Well, Blake said she was like, we need to be sure that in the future, these conversations don't happen in front of the jury. We need assurance that that's not going to happen. Right. And then the judge said to Thomas, he's like, you know, I can't help, but uh, it doesn't escape me that you decided to do that and call to strike that witness. After an entire morning of testimony, he said, you knew that was wrong to do that in front of the jury. He's like, don't do that again. Yeah. It's like, if you need a sidebar, you ask for a sidebar, but this isn't going to happen. And Thomas was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's like, I already uh, I already tried this a few days ago and you shot me or on this testimony. And you shot me down. So I figured I better just go for it again. Hmm. I don't think Did that's you, working though? for him. Mm-hmm. KT says that they that they did drive by their house. You must be a neighbor. Um, and that there were police there. Okay. Okay. So that's what I thought, but they, they didn't basically, they were like, we don't know. It's been so, it's so much stuff to keep in your head. You guys, I, yeah. yeah. I just so, remember that nothing came of it because right. Yeah. We didn't have anything to go on at that time. Mm-hmm. So the, finally back to court, the cross basically was just clarifying a lot of points that were already made. There was definitely no smoking gun in the cross. Uh, three cell phones rang in court today, and they all three had to be confiscated from Ada. The judge had about had it. He's like, we've been doing so good until today. Three different phones. I mean, first of all, after the first one goes off, why wouldn't you make sure yours was good? I mean, right? Really? My God, how embarrassing. I know. I I would <laughs> feel the same way. Like, I... When I've been in court, I was so careful to make sure that didn't happen. But yeah, you'd think one person would cue everyone like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't hammered on that issue particularly so many times. Mm-hmm. Thomas wanted to know if Mel's a part of the 144,000. She said that Lori assured her she was, but she wasn't really convinced. She said all along that Lori told her a lot of things about herself. Mm-hmm that she didn't really believe, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know if she really didn't believe it at the time or she just right. doesn't believe it now. Yeah. One thing he kept asking, he really tried on JJ's routines. What do you know of JJ's routines? Talk to me about JJ's routines. And she's like, I don't really know. But he was like, well, but did you know? Well, did you ever go with Lori to drop him off to school? And she's like, no. Yes. I don't know. She's like, I could have. She's like, that seems like something I might have done. I don't have a direct memory. And he's like, but did you know his routines? Like that he has to had had to have chicken fingers from Burger King every morning on his way to school or chicken fries mm-hmm. every morning on his way to school. And she's like, no, I didn't know that. He's like, so you didn't know her JJ's routines. She's like, no, I didn't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to get out that of That was weird. Because, yeah. Was well, he weird. really wanted to harp on the whole Tylee didn't like her thing, too. Yes, he really went there. And she said Tylee doesn't, Tylee didn't like her. The first day she went to their house, Tylee seemed to be irritated that she was there. 
didn't like her and really hadn't liked her since. She said one time they were at a restaurant and Tylee's hair was kind of out of place and she just moved to like move it for her. And she had a really negative reaction towards her for doing that. She said Tylee never liked her. And she's like, but just like it, on the, uh, when uh, Blake came back, she's like, I mean, have you been around other teenagers? And she's like, oh yeah. I mean, she has a, her own kids, you know, teenager mm -hmm. or, or young adult kids, I think. She's like, well, yeah. And she's like, well, would you say that her attitude are, you know, basically like any other teenager you'd come across? And she was like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Come on. Why would Tylee not be a belligerent teenager who was absolutely over her mother's bullshit? With why all of this she? going on? Yeah. Well, and, and Lori, you know, intentionally isolated um, Tylee from other people. Oh, yeah. She did that with Kay and Larry. She did that with Charles. Uh, you know, she Tylee probably also didn't go did to it school. with Melanie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now mom is showing up with all these weird friends and right. all this weird stuff's going on with mm -hmm. her. She's not dumb. She knew some shit yeah. was going down. I'm sure that Tylee had gotten real mouthy and, you know, sure. was recognizing like, why are you hanging out with that man? And, you know, right. Watching her mom have an affair. And yeah. for sure, I, I'm sure she was absolutely over her nonsense. Yeah. Yep. So then we went to lunch back on the record was Thomas on cross. Again, a lot of trying to understand the light and dark stuff, the vibration stuff, the energy work stuff. It was very unproductive. A lot of questions that uh, she'd already answered a thousand times. And that's just all the process. That's all the defense seems to keep doing. Yeah. They're just trip them up for credibility and they're going to attack that later. I don't know, but. Hey, they don't have much. It's, right. it's weird to me. Uh, oh, back yeah. on cross, Blake kind of did the same thing though. When Blake came back in to redirect, she was just kind of hammering back on the same questions over and over. At one point, Blake tries to ask about JJ's dog, which I thought was interesting because I said that just this morning. I'm like, you know, we haven't heard shit about JJ's dog. Mm -hmm. She tried to bring it up and Thomas is like, uh, this is a redirect. She didn't talk about the dog in her, in the direct. She doesn't get to talk about that. And the judge is like, yeah, no, you don't. I know, but now you got the jury wondering what the dog thing what is. the dog thing is, I'm sure. They'll and have to try to bring it in somewhere pretty else. Much it from Bell. I wouldn't say that anything else interesting happened. It's pretty much stuff we've heard before. Mm -hmm. Then the state called Detective Duncan from the Chandler Police Department. Duncan was present. Uh, he was one of the officers that responded to Charles's shooting. Um, again, I'm not, you guys can go back in and read my notes on Twitter or on Facebook. I'm not going to get way into it because we've already done Charles's murder a thousand times. Uh, and maybe we'll refresh that at some point, our coverage of that. But one of the things he said that I thought was very interesting was that from the angle of the second bullet and the way it glanced off of the floor and the, uh, the stuff in the room, the, well, the uh, wallboard, there was nothing in the room. Mirrors along one wall and that was it. But uh, that there was no, or that was obvious from the way that bullet went in and the way it came out. That that would have had to have been shot into Charles while he was on the floor, on his back, on the floor. Yeah, that doesn't really seem like much self-defense, does it? Yeah. There was some um, questions about, have you ever been to a gunshot uh, homicide before with such little amount of blood? And he said, no, I never have. 
She talked to him about if you gave someone CPR that has been shot in the chest twice, would you expect there to be a lot of blood? And he said, yeah, there should be blood everywhere, but there wasn't. They're just kind of laying the, the foundation or some foundation there, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of talk of that because, um, because in the 911 call, Alex says he's doing CPR and they're like walking right. him through the steps and he says he's doing it, but it's pretty clear from the scene that he did not do it. He did not do it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Lori, at this point, uh, they took a recess. Lori was standing next to Archibald talking to him and he was like using hands and really talking to her and trying to explain something is what it looked like. When she was done with him, she sat down and turned over to uh, Thomas and then they had a long conversation. She was quite animated today. Uh, her best friend just totally narked her out mm -hmm. in open court. Yeah. I'm sure that she's reeling. And the I fact that they is. got Charles's murder in and that they got in the detect that the detective did say that, yes, Arizona does consider this to be a homicide yeah. is huge. Yep, for sure. So one of the things that Chandler did is they had uh, subpoenaed these iCloud accounts. And so they have a lot of evidence that uh, they did this huge document dump, a FOIA dump that uh, Justin Lum had. That's mm -hmm. where a lot of this stuff has come from. Uh, that's where that call from Chad for the uh, mortuary came from, but also the patriarchal blessing. So Chad gave Alex something that's called a patriarchal blessing. This is a blessing in the church that's usually given to teenagers if they're worthy to receive it or mm -hmm. older people if they want one. You kind of like strive to get that. And you have to have a recommend for it or a, you know, get, uh, well, yeah, recommended for it. Kind of like having to get a temple recommend. You have to have interviews. You have to have interviews and stuff, uh -huh, yeah. And, and follow the rules and pay your tithing and stuff. And then you meet with your stakes patriarch. And the patriarch is a man, usually an older man, who has been uh, put into this position. And it's basically like a Mormon-style uh, psychic reading. Yeah, they, with my, I had one with mine. We went to the patriarch's house and your family comes and it's a very mm -hmm. sacred event. You're supposed to be fasting, I think, when you go. Mm -hmm. And the patriarch puts his hands on your head and gives you this very long, detailed blessing that essentially lays out your life. All of these predictions about so long as you follow the rules and do everything you're supposed to, all of these wonderful things will lay out for you. And... So Chad gave Alex a patriarchal blessing, which was very weird because Chad is not a patriarch. Right. It is a calling that you're given in the Mormon church. It's a, it's a real honor to be the patriarch. Uh -huh. And probably one of those things Chad wanted to be. Probably. But Chad uh, is a real, was a real wannabe in a lot of things that he did. Uh -huh. Yes. The blessings are recorded. Always. And sent to, uh, church headquarters and then they mail you a transcript yep. at least that's how they used to do it again it could be different now mm -hmm. but uh i did an entire video on this when the first the, when the transcript of the patriarchal blessing first came out i did a whole video on it we didn't hear it when all the icloud stuff dumped we didn't get to hear it but we did get to read the transcript and it was burning a hole in my pocket because I'm like, our listeners aren't going to have a clue what this means. Mm -hmm. I really want them to uh, 
like see it, you know, understand it. And so I had taken, so I did a video on that and you can find that on our channel and watch that. And I read the entire thing and talk about what it all means. And I recommend that you do, but I'll tell you what, listening today in court to chat, actually giving the blessing. Yikes. Yeah. So interesting. Brandy said her grandpa was the state patriarch and you are that until the day you die. Yeah. It's a lifelong calling just like Mm -hmm. all the other higher up callings. Yeah. But the one thing I, yep, Janet, I want to discuss is one of the things that he said the big thing he hammered on is that his job was to be Lori's protector and Lori's warrior and that he, Alex would know when it was time to go. Alex would know when his mission on earth was complete and it was time to go. And then by God, the day after Tammy was exhumed, Alex left. Yeah. He Don't sure you think did. that's interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Uh, were his tears? Oh, sound in the. Oh my God. There was so much snotty crying in the <laughs> blessing between Chad and Alex crying. Oh, yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. Read the transcript with snotty crying inside and you'll, you'll pretty much have it. It was disgusting. So, what really happened to Alex, right? We also yeah. know that he spoke to Chad the morning that he died. Yeah, he did. Still really wondering. Yep. So that was it today. So they'll be back tomorrow with Duncan on the stand. They were not done with him. Should be interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's it. That was today. I personally think that Melanie probably did as good as she could. Mm -hmm. After seeing her in interviews and on the stand before, I would say she did as well as she could. Mm -hmm. That's just who she is. Mm Mm-hmm. But, but it's very she, fragile. She's very vulnerable and she is, she is not very smart. Yeah. And I don't say that to be cruel. It is just flatly true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for better or worse, she gave some really damning information mm-hmm. and was obviously in the inner circle of the common scheme. Yep. Yep. So... That's where it's at. So, Christy, you're going to be back in court tomorrow. I will. I'll be your live tweeter tomorrow. And uh, we'll, then I will be back tomorrow night and I'll do a live. Katie's going to be out of town. But I will come on and tell you all about it. See what else yeah. comes up on the stand. I just have to say, though, how powerful I think the fact that they got Charles's death and the fact that it's been yes. ruled now a murder admitted. Yes. Because that jury cannot for one second be doubting that there was a conspiracy here when you hear about all of the people who are already dead in this situation mm-hmm. you know and then the kids and and yeah. then tammy you know like it's mm-hmm. it was very big that the defense was able or that the prosecution was able to get that in absolutely absolutely they've pretty masterfully got everything in that they wanted so far Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. There's still some discovery that they weren't able to get in today because it needs more. Um, basically, what it sounded like is that the defense says they don't have it. And we're going to see this continue to happen. The defense keeps uh, objecting and saying, we've never seen that or we don't have that. And then the prosecution's like, yeah, you do. 
we sent it to you in blah, blah, blah at this time. Well, it was something today that the prosecution couldn't find where it is in all of those terabytes of stuff that they send over. So they're going to have to find it and show prove to the judge that they do have it so that they can introduce mm -hmm. that tomorrow. We're right. going to continue to see that for this right? entire trial. Yes, it yeah. was a PowerPoint uh, that came from Detective Duncan from the ah, uh, Chandler okay. Police. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll get to see it tomorrow. Yeah. I'll tell you all about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but that's the discovery issues. They're going to chase us all the way through this this trial. Mm -hmm. They just are. Yeah. It's all they've got to harp on, really. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I, format might have been a problem, but the problem was that the judge wanted them to know, wanted to know when they had sent it and what, mm -hmm. uh, where the prosecution could look for it at or where the defense could look for it at in their stuff and they couldn't find it. Yeah. So, yeah, the defense has it, just not organized. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. All righty, guys. Well, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> Me too. I have to get up really early. <laughs> yeah. So thanks so much for being here, you guys. Have a very good night. This has been yet another production of the True Crime Squad. Bye, everybody. Thank <music> you.